Welcome to the Movie Planet Season 5, Episode 15. This week, we're talking 2021's Black Widow. With Joe. Aw, he's sensitive. See why you keep him around. And Steve. It's a fighting pose. You're a total poser. I'm not a poser. <laughs> Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the taskmaster to my Black Widow, Steve. It's so good to have you back. <laughs> it's It's been a while, but I'm the taskmaster, the most pointless character almost in this whole show. Well, but Thank he's- Thank you, I appreciate that. Could you claim he's the most badass? There's an argument for it. And maybe we should stop saying he. Can we say she is the most badass? Oh, can- Or are we yeah. talking about the stunt double that played her? Well, there was a stop. I didn't know. I thought about that part way through. Like, is it really? Yeah, <laughs> they should have. They should have just. Yeah, whatever. I've seen Olga Korolenko's body. It's not like that. Yeah, the taskmaster behind the mask looked a little bit taller. Yes. Uh, well, this week we have nominated 2021's Black Widow for the comic book movie Pantheon. And the comic book movie Pan Pantheon consists of seven and only seven films. Currently, the films in this preserve are number one. Avengers Endgame with a perfect score. Yes, yes. it's amazing. Uh, Deadpool at number two with a perfect score. Number three, Avengers Infinity War with a perfect score. Number four, Iron Man, perfect score. Number five, The Dark Knight, perfect score. And then, uh, here we get to the shit. Uh, number six, Batman Begins with an A minus, an 11 out of 12. And at number seven, Black Panther at a B plus with a 10.5 out of 12. Um, and you know what? In about six months, Black Panther might be moving out of this category when we uh, put Spider-Man in there. No way home. Uh, but we shall see. <laughs> there are things that have changed in this script since the last time I looked at it. <laughs> well, the higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it out of the pantheon in the future. So we will discuss it, analyze it, grade it, and see if it lands amongst the greats. But before we do anything, Steve, you gave Iron Man 2 a B plus. One of your big gripes was Justin Hammer. Now, you mentioned the other day on the phone that you think you may want to change your grade. So... Do you still want to? You know, looking at it is actually a B plus. Um, I guess I'm, I don't remember even grading it that high. <laughs> <laughs> so I've gave, I gave a lot of gripe about Justin Hammer when we did the Iron Man 2 podcast that he was just, uh, I didn't really feel him as a villain, but as my knowledge of villains has gotten more evolved and better, I do actually kind of have more respect for Justin Hammer as the villain of that movie. Um, compared to kind of what we've seen throughout the MCU, yes. I would rank him a lot higher. Do I want to change my grade? I still like the B plus. Okay. I really do. I really still like it. <laughs> All right. But, I, I mean, wanted to give you the chance. Thank you. I know. I appreciate it. I still, I still stand by my B plus. Okay. He, okay. So still in stone. We will, re, we will re, uh, get back to this again another day. I'm sure. Uh, now, but now that we've handled that business, let's get down to business this week. 
We are talking about 2021's Black Widow, a movie made for an estimated $200 million that brought in 379.6 worldwide. Now, to be clear, this is one of those movies that came out mid-pandemic when no one was going to theaters. And there was a big deal about this being released on home, like home streaming also when it was in theaters. And it, it didn't make the bank that Marvel normally makes. So it's written by Jack Schaefer and Ned Benson, directed by Kate Shortland, music by Lorna Balfa, and produced by the great and powerful Kevin Feige. Starring <clears throat> Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, the Black Widow, Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova, the Black Widow, Rachel Weiss as Melina Vostikov, the Black Widow, David Harbour as Alexei Shostakov, Red Guardian, Ray Winstone as Drakov, O.T. Fabini as Rick, Benz, uh, Rick Mason, Olga Kurilenko as Antonia Drakov, the Taskmaster, William Hurt as Thaddeus Ross, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld as Valentina Allegra de Fontaine or Val. Ms. Hydra. Ms. Ms. Hydra. <laughs> Madam Hydra. Uh, Steve, uh, do you remember seeing this for the first time? What did you think? I watched it in the comfort of my own home. It was, it was the, yeah, it, like you said earlier, it was the new MCU movie that was coming out and as much as I would have loved to see this in theater, you know, I had to respect everything that was kind of going on. It was a little crazy. My expectations were naturally a little high. This was like, other than far from home, it was, uh, it was still post Endgame, and I, I was still riding high in the MCU on that. Um, but I knew I had to kind of check that reality once I learned that the movie was pre-Infinity War around Civil War. So I knew I had to check it for there. So how about you? I, I definitely remember this. It was one of the one of the first movies I saw after the great theater closure of 2020. Uh, I was so happy to be back in theaters and the people that were in the theater applauded when the Marvel Studios trailer came up. Cause it was like, everyone oh, yeah. was kind of like, this is amazing. We're back to business again, as usual in theaters. Uh, Honestly, I would have been happy just watching two hours of a rat eating a newspaper and been pleased at that point because <laughs> we'd been yeah. locked in our homes for so long. It was nice to get back in there. And Black Widow was a great uh, reminder that the theaters are still alive. So I, I was happy to be back in the theaters. Now, you'll notice that I have not said anything about the movie so far. I was just happy to be back. Yeah, I guess uh <laughs> no, it was it, it was a it was crazy. Yes, but. it was. I mean, that comes on the screen and people just start clapping. Yeah. That's the environment I was in. It was, uh, yeah, I still get goosebumps when I hear it. It's still good. Oh yeah, but, but now, I mean, yeah. well, you ready? You ready to do this? Uh, I am ready. Okay, to. let's get into the making of this movie. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies, I make films. Back in February 2004, Lionsgate acquires the film rights for Black Widow. 2004! That's how long they've been trying to make this movie. When did Iron Man 1 come out? 2009. Holy junk. Wow. Yeah. 
around April of 2004, Lionsgate announces David Hayter as the writer and director of the film with Marvel Studios' Avi Arad producing. Now, at the time, this dude was enjoying some pretty good success because he did the X-Men movies. They were coming out, and he was on his way to getting Spider-Man 2 into theaters. So this guy's kind of riding a high as a producer. He's the Kevin Feige before Feige. However... June of 2006, Lionsgate decides to drop by the project and the rights revert back to Marvel Studios. Hader and Marvel tried getting another financier to develop the project, but Hader had trust issues in regards to other studios taking the character seriously. They wanted to just be some sex pot. Like, uh, remember that uh, Pamela Anderson? Barbed wire. Yes. <laughs> they were afraid it was going to be barbed wire. <laughs> wow, you came up with that real quick. <laughs> I, uh, you know. Okay, I had so, a little bit of a cult following with that movie. Yeah. Uh, we're going to skip ahead now to the aftermath of Iron Man's success in 2009. So it's January of 2009. Marvel enters early talks with Emily Blunt to play Black Widow in Iron Man 2. But she declines because she's already committed to playing Gulliver's Travels, which is also released in 2010. That was a mistake. Yeah. Now that Emily Blunt would have filled in kind of nicely. She would have been great. Uh, yes. Mar- March of 2009, Scarlett Johansson signs on to play Natasha Romanoff, the Black Widow, with her deal including options for multiple films. Now, in September of the next year, while promoting the home media release of Iron Man 2, Kevin Feige states the discussions with Johansson had already taken place regarding a Black Widow standalone film. This was back in 2010 they were talking about the standalone. But that Marvel's focus was on the Avengers. Remember, at that time, they really didn't know if they were going to go any further forward than that. Yeah. So after that, Johansson reprises her role in Winter Soldier, Age of Ultron, Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame. You could make an argument that that's four out of five of the biggest Marvel movies of all time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, After the release of Age of Ultron, Johansson revealed that the number of films on her contract had been adjusted since she first signed to match the, quote, demand of the character, as Marvel had not anticipated the audience's great reaction to the character and her performance, which is a pretty wild contract. If you signed a contract and it was like, well, if you like, if they like you, we'll make more. That's not a contract. That's that's a huge variable. (laughs) That's a soft promise. I mean, I guess it just does give a little bit of a responsibility on Scarlett Johansson to make sure that she presents the character as best as she can. Yeah, puts a lot of pressure on her and the writers. Mm -hmm. Uh, February of 2014, Feige says that exploring Black Widow's past in Age of Ultron, he would like to see it explored further in a solo film, which already had development work done for it, including a pretty in-depth treatment by Nicole Perlman, who co-wrote Guardians of the Galaxy. Feels good so far. I'm liking where this is going. April of the same year, Johansson expresses interest in starring in a Black Widow form because they keep asking her, would you want to be in one? Everybody seems to think that because nothing happens, she doesn't want to be in one. But she's been wanting to be in one since 2009. July of 2014, Hader expresses interest in reviving the project for Marvel. And the following month, director Neil Marshall says that he wants to be the director of the Black Widow film, mostly because she's got no powers, no special abilities. She's just a highly trained badass, which that's like, that's directing a Batman movie. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And if I remember correctly around this time, the Dark Knight films had ended. I think they were, they were all over at that point. Joss Whedon in 2016 I'm sorry, April of 2016, while promoting Civil War, Kevin Feige notes that due to the announced schedule of films, any potential Black Widow film would be four or five years away. 
He promised it would get made eventually. Now, by that time in Civil War, they're already, they've already lined up what they're going to do. They know Thanos. They know all that. They can't just fit yeah. shit in just when they want to fit it in. Yeah. Uh, 2016 of July, Joss Whedon, the director of The Avengers and Age of Ultron, said that he was open to directing a Black Widow film, feeling he could make a spy thriller. Now, mind you, in January of the same year, he claimed in an interview that he'd never work with Marvel Studios again because he wouldn't have time to do anything else. And this is why you don't burn bridges, kids. Oh, that would have been really nice if he would have taken over that project. Yeah, he knows how to, he knows how to direct films with great female leads. He just knows how to do it. Um, February of 2000, no, October of 2016, Johansson discussed the potential film being a prequel, alluding to bringing the setting to Russia and exploring the Widow program. Of course, she did caution she may not want to wear a skin-tight cat suit for much longer, though. I mean, she's getting a little bit older. She probably doesn't want to have her body on display all the time. It's Hollywood, man. You can get all the money in the world to make people the way that you want to through training and diet. It's part of this is what you signed up for, for being an actress. Well, you know. Yeah. Well, she did sign a weird ass contract. You need to have the Christian Bale mentality. Oh, bringing Batman back into it. <laughs> well, I mean, look at all the characters that he did when he, you know, when he did the machinist. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. All, all the way to when, all the way to well, he did, um, he portrayed the vice president. Yeah. Dick Cheney. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his body went through a massive transformation. That's dedication right there. That is. It's also quite dangerous. Kids don't do this at home. <laughs> uh, February of two, 2017, Johansson said that she would dedicate herself to making any potential Black Widow film the best it can be as long as it is a standalone and has its own style and its own story. Due to the development work already done and the public support for a Black Widow film, Marvel ultimately decided that the best time to move forward with the project would be the beginning of phase four of the MCU in 2020. This is pre-pandemic, so that phase four got pushed a little bit. Yeah. Uh, October 2017, okay, now the rubber meets the road. Feige meets with Joe Hansen to discuss the direction of a solo film before Marvel began meeting with writers for the project, including Jack Schaefer. Following the hashtag MeToo movement, Johansson wanted the film to comment on the movement which saw women supporting each other and, quote, coming through these shared experiences of trauma on the other side, end quote. This is where they lose their way a little bit. December of 2017, Schaefer met with Feige and was hired to write the screenplay by the end of 2017. Schaefer and Johansson were set to discuss the direction of the film at the beginning of February of 2018. Marvel began meeting with female directors, to potentially take on the project, part of a priority push by major film studios to hire female directors for franchises. And that is how an agenda gets pushed. Everything should be equal. That's how, I mean, I look Me at too. it through, through that. Just, I just want the best director that they can possibly get, male or female. There's a lot of good directors. I think the, uh, I can't remember her name, but the one who did Wonder Woman, she's oh. an amazing director, Patty Jenkins. Patty right? Jenkins, yeah. Yes, she's an amazing director. Actually, now that I think about it, how wonderful would it have been if they would have snapped her? But I think the DC universe kind of, I wonder if they had something in their contract for their directors or whatnot to make sure that they stay with DC and not go over to the Marvel universe. Well, I don't know, because I think shortly after this, don't you have the, uh, who the guy, who was the guy that directed Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, he's the one that just got, he got fired. He got fired, oh, went to I do can't... Suicide Squad, and then came back to do Guardians 3. 
that's gonna bug me. I know. We'll remember it later. Question. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing: if they if they had just direct, if they just picked uh, Kate Shortland, saying she was the best director of all the ones that they saw, and they didn't just go with that, saying, but we wanted to make sure we only had a woman directing this. You, when you say something like that, you automatically put out into the zeitgeist that you are limiting your directors. Yeah. That you only believe one person can direct one kind of person. And good directors can direct anything. Catherine Bigelow is another name that should have been up here for doing one of these. Chloe Zhao, who did the Sean, uh, not Chloe, she did Eternals. The action scenes in Eternals are really good. The, the movie is crap, but the action scenes are really good. And when that person gets the job, if they even mess up a little bit, you've automatically put on there that a man could have done better, which yeah. isn't necessarily the case, but that's out there now. No, that's true. I mean, the floor is whatever it is, but the, your ceiling could be limited. Yeah. Uh, so 2018, Kate Shortland is hired. Johansson said Black Widow became more of a reality during the filming of Infinity War, and she was also aware of the character's death in Endgame, knowing this helped inform when Black Widow would take place in the MCU timeline. Johansson also believed there was no pressing urgency to make the film, and that making it when it was, rather than years earlier, allowed the film to be about real stuff. It also made it ultimately expendable in the entire thing. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, when you take your time with something like that, know everything that it, that goes on, you know, during Endgame, it then starts to become the point, is it really necessary? Rogue One. October 2018, The Hollywood Reporter reports that Johansson would earn $15 million for the film, an increase from the low seven-figure salary that she earned for starring in The Avengers. Now, Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth each earned $15 million for the third films in their MCU franchises, Civil War and Thor Ragnarok, respectively, and also earned the same amount for co-starring in Infinity War and Endgame. Despite the Hollywood Reporter claiming the salaries were confirmed by multiple knowledgeable sources for that report, Marvel Studios disputed the accuracy of the numbers, saying that they, quote, never publicly disclosed salaries or deal terms. The Walt Disney Company later stated that Johansson earned $20 million by the end of July of 2021 for her work on the film. And Johansson also served as an executive producer on the film. That's a, that's a lot of cheddar. I remember hearing about all these, this misinformation coming out in, yep. the, in the news. And it's like, God, what a hot mess. It, this was all linked into the Me Too movement of women not being treated fairly in Hollywood and all that stuff. And that's when all this is coming out. And Disney, Disney and Marvel kind of stood their ground and said, yeah, listen up, here's the real deal. <laughs> uh, you can trust us, we just, we just made Infinity War. <laughs> I wonder if, I wonder like how different like salaries and contracts and how everything would have been done if they didn't wait as long because it made it seem like Scarlett Johansson was like, you know what? We're in no rush to do this. Let's take our time. You know, she, she does other projects in the meantime, they're working yeah. on the other parts of the MCU. I wonder what would be different if they actually did this solo project sooner. Well, I think what would have been different is they had to wait. There was a point in the MCU when Robert Downey Jr. stood his ground and said, I'm getting paid 10 times as much as all my co-stars. We're all Avengers. And I think at one point he stood his ground and said, basically, you're not getting me again until you start paying everybody else here the same amount I'm getting paid. And when he did that, that's when Hemsworth and Evans and all of them started getting paid the money that they were getting paid. 
So Robert Downey Jr., if Kevin Feige is the father, RDJ is the son. Yep. And Stanley is the Holy Spirit. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Okay, into pre-production February of 2019, Ned Benson's hired to write the script, and Feige confirms that despite rumors, the studio did not want the film to receive an R rating, which I would have liked to have seen with this R rating. Uh, It would have, uh, I don't know, PG-13, I think you could still get away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and R rating, I guess, but then you're limiting your audience. You are. Uh, And you don't want to do that in the MCU. Uh, Well, except for Deadpool. Except for Deadpool, which isn't necessarily (laughs) in the MCU. Okay. Uh, uh, March 2019, Florence Pugh entered negotiations to join the cast as a spy who is, quote, morally opposite to Romanoff. Marvel had been considering Pugh for the role since late 2018, but began looking at other actresses, including Sher Sharonin, in 2019. The studio returned to Florence Pugh after she received strong reviews for her performance in the film Fighting With My Family. April 2019, Florence Pugh is confirmed to have been cast alongside David Harbour, the Mummy's Rachel Weisz and O.T. Fabian Lee. <laughs> I think that's how you say his name. I don't want to say it another way because it just sounds awful if I say it that way. Uh, oh, say, it, say it that way. Shortland said the film would not be an origin story despite being a prequel to Infinity War and Endgame as Feige felt that would be expected of a prequel and decided to move in the opposite direction of that idea. Shortland acknowledged Romanoff's death in Endgame and the fact that some fans were upset she did not receive a funeral in that film, but said the character was private and did not know many people, so she would not have wanted a funeral. However, Black Widow allowed the ending to, quote, be the grief the individuals felt rather than a big public outpouring. I, I'm going to say same thing here. And that, that is, when we talk about the scene at the end of this movie, the post credit scene, yeah. I think you and I have plenty to say about that whole situation. Personally for me, Endgame, I liked the fact that the other five Avengers were on that dock by themselves mourning the loss of Black Widow. That was the moment that she deserved right there. So are people mad that it wasn't just like everybody had to come together and, you know, have this grave or send off? Like Robert Downey Jr.'s in Endgame. Okay. He was the beginning of it. He was the original, the, the OG. He exactly. Was, he's the top guy. I mean, I have a feeling when people are going to say this, this is that the hashtag Me Too movement can come out again. But I thought it was extreme. Like when all the Avengers were there mourning her in Endgame, that was that was a funeral. Yes, that's what happens at a funeral. And it's they were like, the only ones that really people. knew her. Yeah. I mean, maybe you could have had Nick Fury and uh, Maria Hill in there because she was that part of S.H.I.E.L.D., but that would have been just, what were they just done? Just stood there? I know. I know exactly. That was her, that was her family, the theme. Yeah. In that, yeah. If it had been everybody, want- I think it would have, I think it would have, I guess, minimized her importance to being one of the original six. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, Eric Pearson is cre- credited as the screenwriter for Black Widow with Schaefer and Benson receiving story credit. The film is mostly set between the main plot of Civil War and that film's final scene, which makes it very difficult to watch in chronological order, in which the Avengers escape from prison. Johansson and Feige felt setting the film after Civil War was the best place to start because it is the first time that Romanoff is on her own and not tied to a larger organization. Do you know when another time she was on her own? Everything before the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> uh, okay. Even kind of when you see her, what 
her she made her debut in Iron Man two. Yes. Yeah, and even then, I granted she wasn't a di- in that movie, but she was on her own. She had her own scenes and her own little mission. Right. Right. And she was fabulous. Uh, in yeah, April of 2021, I'm going to skip ahead here, following Julia Louis-Dreyfus's appearance as Valentina Allegra de Fontaine in the Marvel Studios television series The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Joanna Robinson of Vanity Fair reported that Louis-Dreyfus had been expected to first appear in Black Widow before its delays pushed the film's release to after the series premiere on Disney+. Feige later confirmed this with Black Widow's post credit scene originally intended to be the introduction to the character, but now acting as a reference to her appearance in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. He said this was the only change to Marvel's Phase 4 plans that was forced by the pandemic. Shortland said in May that the film had been completed a year prior and had not been altered despite the release delays. Bullshit. The release of the film revealed that Olga Kurilenko portrays Antonia Drakov, taskmaster in the film, and Kurilenko's involvement was excluded from the film's marketing ultimately because they wanted to keep that whole thing a secret. But no one really knows who Olga Kurilenko is, so you were keeping an empty box a secret? Yeah, really. So I'm, I'm curious. So they had a, a different plan for Madame Hydra yeah, Well, initially? they... They were going to introduce her in the Black in the Black Widow movie, but because Falcon and the Winter Soldier came first, people saw her in that first. I mean, I would say I like the way it's done now, but I guess I'd be curious on how they would have introduced it. It would if they kept everything the same like how they did now. It would have been very confusing um, to see this post credit scene without seeing yeah Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'd have been like, who is this? Blah 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 blah. I don't know. I just. Well, I like the way that they did it this way. But then again, that's the only way I've seen. So I don't know if the other way would have went first, if I would have liked it or not. I think about it this way in that if this movie was the first one to come out after Endgame and Far From Home and the post credit is uh, this woman walking up to Yelena saying, you need to kill Clint Barton. That kind of keeps us all on the Avengers wagon because we're like, OK, yeah, here we go. We're, we're, we're ready to go with this. Let's see what happens. And then the next time you see Valentina, She's at the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier trying to recruit fake Steve Rogers to be a part of her team. Yeah. And you're like, ooh, Yelena, fake Steve Rogers. This guy is kind of off the handle also. I kind of want to see what's going on here. But let's be honest, the the, the funeral scene doesn't even need to be in this movie. Okay. (laughs) So let's get started with the synopsis of this movie, courtesy of themoviespoiler.com. Because oh, no. because Wikipedia and IMDb gave really, really lame summaries. You know, this is the first piece of clothing I've ever bought for myself. That? Yeah, you don't like it? Is that like an army surplus? or? Okay, it has a lot of pockets. <laughs> but I use them all the time, and I made some of my own modifications. Oh, yeah? Never. <laughs> Shut up. The point is, I've never... I've never had control over my own life before, and now I do. I want to do things. I like your vest. God, I knew it. I knew you did. It's so cool, right? It's good. Yes. And you can put so much stuff in there. You wouldn't even know. I really don't know where the red room is, though. I'm sorry. I know. But I think I know somebody who does. Oh, yeah? Who? We're gonna need a jet. 
Ohio, 1995. Young Natasha Romanoff plays with her surrogate sister, Yelena Bolova, until Yelena scrapes her knee. They go to their mother, Melina, who tends to their wound. Later, Father Alexei comes home and tells Melina they have to leave. They take the girls to a hangar where they prepare to board a plane before a pl team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents pursue them. Alexei shoots at them while Melina, Melina tries to get the plane moving. She is shot. So little Natasha must move up and take the controls while Alexei hangs onto the wing. They manage to get the agents to crash all over the place before flying out of there. So there's a lot to unpack in this very first scene because it's kind of like it, it just keeps moving and moving. Uh, there are certain things I liked. I like the fact that it's established right away. The girls have their own little bond. They whistle to each other to let you know where they're located, which I think is kind of cute for kids to do. Those are sisters right off the bat. Very so much they so. They have one's a surrogate for the other. Yes. We get the introduction Rachel. of Rachel Weiss. Yeah, she's still hot. <laughs> I mean, I still like that. I mean, it's not like in her mummy days, which was that that's her something. alone but her alone brings that movie up to a b <laughs> <laughs> um but she still looks great she's one of those actors that have aged very well and i'm sorry for saying that miss weiss but uh <laughs> it's um you still look great yes uh Yelena goes inside and the first thing she wants is mac and cheese, which is funny because we see that in the Hawkeye TV show with Kate Bishop. Yeah, it's almost like you need to see this movie and then <laughs> the Hawkeye series because I didn't catch that until you said something. And then when I went back and watched this again, I'm like, oh, the mac and cheese. Yeah. You know, then I started thinking, this, wow, Marvel, you just really changed your fan base with all of these little things. <laughs> now we recognize mac and cheese on screen. Yes. The, and I, what I like about the beginning of this is that it has a feeling of another TV show that was very popular called The Americans. Are you familiar with the show? No, I'm not. Okay, The Americans was, I think it ran for like six or seven seasons, and it was about Russians hiding in sleeper cell families in the U.S. in the 1980s. So when I was watching this, I was like, oh, I see what they're calling back on right now, that paranoia of it all. I do like that Natasha understands what's going on, but Yelena has no idea. Well, that's the age difference. You but know, it's also something where it's something for Natasha alone to keep for herself instead of just sharing everything with her sister. Well, I think it shows that, yes, she's still a kid, but it's that you're growing up. We need more responsibility. She's starting to lose her childhood. Yes. Yeah. I get the feeling, d despite what the rest of the film is going to tell you, that Alexia and Melina legitimately care for these kids. Uh, based on the tone that they have when they're away from the kids and they're talking about them. I get the feeling that these are their children. Uh, that's, what I, that's what I got. I thought they were their parents right. right in the beginning. That's what I thought also. On the road, you get Yelena's favorite song is American Pie. <laughs> what kid wants to listen to an eight-minute folk song? <laughs> I didn't really enjoy that song until I was in college. Right. And even yeah. then it was kind of like because it was all the symbolism in it. Okay, so they turn off the road to reach a hangar, and Alexi throws a metal trailer out of the way. Wow. Yeah. Alexi. He's got. I saw that. Does he? Does he have the super zoom? Everybody's got super zoom. <laughs> I remember when I first saw that, and even the second time, I still saw thought the same thing. I was like, he throws that up. You know, he has his gun in his hand, throws that away. I'm like, something screwy here. <laughs> you know, it just something was a little off. I'm like, you have my attention now. Yes. Yeah. It was kind of like, okay, now that we see something that's unusual. The dude jumped on a plane wing. Did he Did he fly on that the entire way? Did he eventually climb into the airplane? 
So since I've been doing these podcasts, I've my my vision on no pun intended, my vision has changed on how I've watched these movies. Yes. Along with my wife's. And that's the first thing that she mentions when they show the next scene of them flying over Cuba. It's like, wait a minute. Did he fly on the whole wing, the whole ride there? <laughs> and when you see this for the first time, it's like, okay, there's something different about Alexi, but you still haven't put together the fact that he could be something drastically special. And yes. that was the first WTF moment that I got. And I was wondering like does he crawl back into the airplane because that would make more sense did that just get edited out because i mean I, and for for the sake of time did they need to show that but i don't know if that necessarily was so i was a little i was very i was confused on that well i mean when we do had, see we see the plane landing in cuba he's not on the wing so he either climbed in or they just didn't edit it properly so no. I, I don't know um uh, the four arrive in Cuba, where Melina is given medical attention as Alexi mates with a man named Drakov. When the nearby soldiers try to get the girls, Natasha swipes a gun off of one of the soldiers to defend Yelena. The men note that the girl has guts, and both girls are tranquilized and taken away in a truck. Hey, Alexi is called the Red Guardian. Got it. Russia's got a Captain America. Okay. This is the second time the MCU has kind of pitted a Russia versus America type thing. They did that in Iron Man 2. That's right. Wow. I forgot about that. Yeah. So they did a cool. I love the fact that when Natasha grabs a gun, she's speaking in English and going to Russian back and forth. Right. That just totally legitimizes, okay, I'm serious when yes. she's speaking in Russian. Uh, a montage follows showing Natasha and Yelena, plus dozens of other kidnapped girls being taken to the Red Room, where they are subjected to harsh procedures and training through their lives, shaping them into powerful Black Widow agents. And we get a very haunting version of Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. I've never heard that song done like that before. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, and honestly, Steve, th this is freaking dark. When I was watching it, my first thought was the James Bond movies, how they always have an opening montage to some singer like Billie Eilish or uh, Adele at one point did one. Uh, and so I was like, oh, this is kind of like, it's a spy. She's a spy. She gets her own spy montage. But then I remembered a long time ago, you and I, I did a little movie called Incredible Hulk. And Incredible Hulk did a montage also, and that montage told the whole story of the first Hulk movie so you wouldn't have to deal with it. This movie tells you the whole story of the Widow program, and I think it's awesomely done. Steve, I know you think it's awesome too, don't you? I liked the Black Widow version of this. It was done, uh, it was okay in Hulk. Uh, I know I crapped on it a lot, but you know, going back to saying how how dark this is, it is especially dark because it's kids. Yes, that is what just makes it. Oh, okay, they're going down this route. Right. It was very creepy. It was very concentration camp like, and it just showed how brainwashing is done. You like literally see the evolution of them from kids all the way to young women. Yeah, and. Well, it, it was done a lot better than Hulk. I liked it. It was done better. It was done better in Hulk. Better than Hulk. Okay. Would you say that that was the movie you wish this was? Like, what if they had not done a montage of it? What if they just said 
The montage is going to be the movie. It's going to be about the girls, their training, and eventually widows getting out of there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, but I also know, Steve, you are not a fan of the opening montage story. I mean, you don't like that. I, it's not. It's not an aesthetic that you enjoy, right? Well, if I just go based on the MCU, they've done two opening credits like that, right? Right. So it's 50-50 right now. Okay. So you. So this one was the good one and Hulk was the bad one? That is correct. Okay. I just want to play everybody a little clip here of Steve's initial ideas on the Hulk montage from before. I knew you were going to set me up. Wrong button. Here we go. Number three. Yes, I did say it was kind of brilliant, but it had Frozen's cause was the opening credits montage. <laughs> I knew nothing. I knew nothing of Hulk. I mean, yes, I saw the Ang Lee, and I just know that he just is gamma radiation. But I didn't know how all that went. And if you, this is your first exposure to Hulk, um, you miss one thing, you're lost. Oh yeah. I mean, there's a couple times that uh, my wife, when she was, was talking about, says, "Did this happen? What? 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 Why are they connecting here? It's just like, it's in that opening credit later on. So um, I officially do not like major storytelling <laughs> within the opening credits because now you're paying attention to the credits. They got that in front of you. You got this, you know, super major storyline that you got to pay attention at the same time and everything's just all greenish and it's all blended together and boom, it's done. Like, okay, I officially do not like that. Okay, so if I, if I may... You don't like it when the movie starts because then you have to pay attention? Well, I, I like to be warmed up to it. There are some movies where it goes like props or... Your thoughts, Steve? <laughs> I guess to part that, that might be the thinking part of the movie uh, that, I, that, I don't, that I don't do very good with. Um, the difference between Hulk and this one is that that's the very beginning of the movie. There is no prologue, I guess you would say, is what the beginning part of it is. So my attention was already in there. I get, I'm, I'm eating my words. I understand that, but I still, okay. If I, if I want my cake and eat it too, I want the montage with the credits to be at a certain part of the film. Okay. All right. So that's, that's, I think how I like it. I think that's a good defense, Steve. Very good job. You, yeah. you, you, you painted yourself into a corner and you realized, wait, there's a ladder here. I can get out of this. <laughs> I learned from the best. <laughs> All right. 21 years later, Natasha is on the run after violating the Sokovia Accords. General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross and his men close in on the building where she is located. Ross attempts to talk to Natasha, but she makes it clear she is not going quietly. She manages to escape before Ross can catch up to her. Steve, I love watching William Hurt as General Ross. I just feel oh. like he's used just enough in the MCU. Yeah, he's come back during these movies at the right time, and seeing him was like, oh, this is, I recognize somebody. Right. right this, this is cool. Yeah. Uh, typical spy calling from a different location that Ross expects. Yeah, that was the first of, the, of a couple. Uh, gotcha moments. Yeah, there he is. Uh, 
In Morocco, Yelena has her eyes on a target, Oksana. Yelena is spotted and she pursues Oksana on foot. The two fight until Yelena fatally stabs Oksana in the gut. She then sprays Yelena in the face with a synthetic red gas called red dust that appears to break Yelena free from mind control. She realizes she just killed a close friend of hers. Yelena recovers the rest of the gas and removes a tracker from her body. Drakov is informed of this when Yelena's signal is lost and he goes to dispatch his super assassin, Taskmaster. Okay, uh, this is really the first action scene of the movie. If you don't count the beginning airplane chase, this is the first action scene. And yes. I personally, I love this scene with Yelena because she comes off as pretty damn commanding. And I think Florence Pugh's face is perfect for showing how cold Yelena can be. Well, yeah, she's it shows brainwashing. Yes. And the fact that she shows no remorse. Right. You know, and she's got that. Uh, I mean, I don't know what her nationality is, but that Russian European type look to her. Yeah. Pulls off well. Yeah. And, and even when she cuts her leg open to pull out the tracking device, I was just like, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> this chick is tough. <laughs> well, yeah, she's been engineered to not accept pain. Yes. Uh, and we hear about the Taskmaster protocol, and we have no idea who the Taskmaster is, but I'm excited. Yeah, it's something different, something cool. I guess the only way that you would know a Taskmaster if one, you're the deep comic person, or yep. you pay, or you play Marvel Strike Force. Those are the only ones you know. <laughs> what did you think of that overall introduction to Yelena? I really liked it. I think it was the same thing as you. It just showed how cold and calculated she is. It's almost was like she's she's a robot. Yeah. She's just no remorse. She's got always on the mission. Oh, you stop it right now. <laughs> you son oh, of mission, a bitch. Mission, mission. <laughs> <laughs> and again, she evolves so that she's not always on mission. Anyways, um, no, it was great. I liked it. Okay. Natasha moves to a safe house in Norway where she meets her contact, Rick Mason. Uh, Rick Mason actually is a former CIA operative who is also the son of the Tinkerer, who we saw in Spider-Man Homecoming, but clearly isn't a rewritten character history since the Tinkerer and Mason appear to be very close in the same age. But in the comics, the Tinkerer is Rick Mason's father. I can't remember who the Tinkerer was in... Okay, in Spider-Man Homecoming, he was the guy that was making all the stuff for the Vulture. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yep, uh, that's right. Yeah. Rick Mason, who supplies her with items like passports or whatever she needs. She is also sent a mysterious package later that night. Natasha runs out of fuel and goes to get more, only for Taskmaster to ambush her on the bridge. Natasha tries to fight the assassin, but Taskmaster is capable of mimicking moves and is quick to defend themselves. Taskmaster attempts to grab Natasha's package, <laughs> but she already grabbed it before <laughs> Taskmaster throws her off the bridge. Natasha finds that it is red dust along with pictures of her and and Yelena as children. Um, what what the hell does Rick Mason do that he can get all this crap? <laughs> Especially being a private engineer, you know, right. work, working in the private sector where he gets all the funding for this stuff. And yeah, I mean, no questions are asked. They're clearly friends, but don't you get the feeling that there's something more here? Oh yeah, I totally agree. I'd, I'd love to know what he does, but then again, I don't, I don't want another movie on it, but, and you know what? I don't think we'll ever know. It's just one yeah. of those things that you just have to go with. Uh, I, I do like that she dyes her hair blonde that night because that's the hair color she's got in Infinity War. She gets a bunch of mail from Budapest, or, or is it Budapest? 
Is it Budapest or Budapest? Budapest. Bud- okay. Buda- okay. Buda- Budapest. Budapest. Or the first one. Okay. Uh, Widow has taken a beating in the past, but I feel like she's operating here with some uh, cap-like strength. A wee bit unbelievable. Steve? This, this is the matchup with Taskmaster. Correct? Yeah. So Taskmaster gets revealed to Natasha after this massive kaboom that happens out of nowhere, which caught me off guard and he was i was watching it with the uh with the wife and she was still taken aback by that so like oh okay so she was still surprised and i'm like she's still alive <laughs> you know <laughs> know where i got that from this is where it this is where i really started to pick at the action scenes oh no that's like she's like okay, she might be a little banged up here, but this is an explosion. I was like, all right, so all right, when I watched it again, I stopped the movie. I'm like, where am I at? I'm 25 minutes in. Yes. And I'm yes. like, I'm starting not to, I mean, I've already seen the plane. I've already seen Yelena's scene, which was a lot more believable when her character was more introduced. Um, but this, I was like, eh, I'm not really believing it, so. Okay. It was, but you're right. She did have some cap-like strength. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, she got a little serum in her. I mean, let's talk about Taskmaster. Taskmaster has some moves, man. I see Cap. I see Widow. I see Winter Soldier. I see Black Panther. And what I really love is that when they do the heads-up display of Taskmaster, you see on Widow's body all these percentages, which are different parts of her body to attack based on success rate. And it's constantly recalculating as she's looking. I thought that was sweet. It's like she's a computer or something. I didn't really notice that. And now it's really cool. Yeah. Like that's how awesome she is, is that you're not going to beat someone who knows all this. It's, it reminds me of when uh, Iron Man and Cap are fighting in Civil War and it starts to look for weaknesses in Cap's fighting style. Mm-hmm. This was the same thing. Yeah, I got that. Well, one, very badass. I love the costume. I love the get up and the fact that she was able to mimic everything that she does down to the pose. Oh, <laughs> I was like, I honestly got that feeling that this character is unbeatable. The fact that it keeps evolving and changing based on the actual situation at hand. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that it's you're, you're fighting yourself and she's considered one of the best. So it's, I was like, I don't. This, I I just didn't think it was unbeatable. Right, I it looked unbeatable. I was curious as to how they were going to de- defeat her finally. Yes, like I my my first thought was they're going to have Yelena and her fight them at the same time because she can mimic one person's moves but not both people's moves. Yeah, and even then with how she changes. Yeah, that would actually been a really cool scene. Both of them attacking Taskmaster. Again, another ball that was dropped with Taskmaster. I think we're going to say a lot of times in this movie, that would have been, that would have been a really cool scene. Yeah. So, okay, the water she falls in has got to be freezing. But what, I don't know if you know this, but in the making of, that water is actually freezing. And that is actually her in the water. And you see her going, do I have to get in there? Do I have to go wow. in? And she had to do it like three or four times, like dip her head underwater, come back out. So when you see her shaking there, that's not, that's her literally freezing. 
Wow. Yeah, that's pretty Okay. ScarJo does her own stunts. <laughs> uh, now, I have a question. It's time for Joe's Logic House. Uh, they insinuate that Yelena knew where Natasha was staying because she mails the antidote to her. But if it's a safe house and Yelena's not a part of the Red Room anymore, then how does she know where Natasha is staying? Huh. <laughs> is that a plot hole? Yeah, that would that be a plot sounds, hole. That sounds like a plot hole. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I got nothing for yeah. you. Natasha, right, Natasha travels to Budapest to find Yelena in her own safe house. Apparently just know where each other, what kind of safe house is it? They know where each other are. The two engage in a fight until they call a truce before they literally strangle each other. Yelena tells Natasha about the red dust and its effects, and she also lets her know that the red room is still active, despite Natasha having believed it to be destroyed when she dis supposedly killed Drakov. Yelena mentions Drakov's daughter just before several Black Widows come after them. The two run out of the building and topple a tower as Natasha has to shake one widow off as she falls to the ground. When Natasha gets down to the widow, she tells Natasha that Drakov is forcing her to do this just before Drakov has the widow kill herself. I, I, now, Steve, I know you're not a fan of the fights. You've got to give this one credit. The fight between Yelena and um, Natasha, it's a Jason Bourne-like fight. It's brutal. It is very brutal. And I think one of the first action shots of this is somebody getting their back against the spine of a corner of a wall. <laughs> and I'm like, we know Natasha's vulnerable. Yes. You see that yeah. later on when you see the bruises all over her back. I'm like, but as this scene's going on, is this, are they, is this chick made of vibranium? She's just bouncing off the walls, getting back up and going, I mean, I know adrenaline probably has to have some form of play into this, but... I was like, wow, there's nothing broken in these girls' body. It's just, it was insane. It was a oh, it was a little unbelievable. Well, maybe I should break this up into two parts. The first part, which is just Yelena versus Natasha, I think is a fantastically choreographed fight. I think it looks mm -hmm. awesome. It's very much grab everything around you and use it to fight with. I like the fact that it ends in a stalemate showing that Yelena is her equal when it comes mm -hmm. to fighting. Yes. Um, but what I don't understand is if Yelena doesn't trust her, then why did she send her the antidote? <laughs> huh. <laughs> Is that another plot hole? She says she knows nobody else, but I'm like, you got to know someone else. You haven't talked to your sister in, what, 20 years? Yeah, so, well. I mean, we know it's an antidote for mind control now, but... Yeah, that's got to be the only one that she knows. She's been brainwashed for an X amount of years for yeah. a long time. Yeah. So I guess as soon as that was all cleared up when she got gassed, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, everything Yelena says is great. Uh, her humor is Florence Pugh delivers it so well. I always get worried about when someone fakes a accent, if people are laughing at the accent or the joke. And with Florence Pugh, I can't tell the difference. No, I I never looked at the accent. For me, I was laughing at the jokes. Yeah. That's just how good of a voice actor and how well she's done. Uh, we get a little little idea of what the uh, Budapest adventure was all about uh, when you see the arrow markings in the wall. Uh, but uh, do, do, do you care? It was, okay, 
The second time I saw it, I noticed the arrow marks and I was like, okay, the Hawkeye thing. Okay, Budapest. That was always the inside thing between Black Widow and Hawkeye. Right. But I'm like, once they explained it, I'm like, did we really need to know this? I mean, it's it's like finding out how Solo got his name. Well, it's also not even explained. It's just Yelena sees arrow marks on the wall and she goes, I've never seen bullets that look like that. She goes, oh, those aren't bullets. Those are arrows. We don't learn about the whole thing until the Hawkeye series. Okay. I thought the whole, I don't think this scene has come up yet, but I thought they did explain Budapest in this movie. Oh, what was that? Is that uh, when they're the in, the, fact, in the in the vents? Yeah, because I think doesn't it, it goes back to that she killed Passmaster, the daughter, yeah. you know, and that whole Budapest thing was that mission trying to kill Drakov. I completely missed that. I didn't put that together. I assumed that was Budapest. I mean, they're on that mission together. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe that's it. And it, and it was very sensitive because a child was involved. So that's the thing they don't talk about because obviously that affected Black Widow much because now a child's being eliminated. Yes. You know, and so that's, yeah. But I don't think that scene's come up yet. No, but like every Marvel movie, there has to be one absolutely unbelievable scene. And this is it for me. When Natasha falls off the the grating of that apartment and she hits all that shit falling from the roof, she should have at least one broken bone. I winced. I winced as I just see her back going against this huge massive bar. And I'm just like, oh God, that's gotta hurt. And then she hits that pose. Yeah. And I'm like, I call BS. (laughs) I, again, it's not doing a good job of reeling me back in with believability. Don't fuck with me, fellas! Just as Natasha and Yelena try to escape, Taskmaster appears and pursues them through the streets. They steal a car and drive as fast as they can, pretending that they're in the Winter Soldier, but Taskmaster fires an explosive arrow that sends the car rolling down into the subway. Natasha and Yelena run with Taskmaster following a trail of blood with from Yelena's arm, but the two manage to divert Taskmaster's path as they hide. As Yelena tends to her arm, she brings up how Natasha believed that she killed Drakov at the cost of his daughter, Antonia's life, when trying to work for S.H.I.E.L.D., so no, she was working for Shield at the time when she did the the Drakov thing. Yeah, yeah. So that wasn't the Budapest incident. The Budapest incident we find in Hawkeye is when Hawkeye went there to kill her, and he pulled his arrow. Okay. So she was keeping watch outside his office when Antonia entered the building. When asked by an agent if they were clear to execute Drakov, Natasha said yes, despite Antonia being there, and the building blew up killing her. This has haunted Natasha ever since. Yelena and Natasha's banter during the car chase is great. I am slowly buying into Florence Pugh's Yelena as a legit Marvel character since she's got the quips now. Yeah, it's a classic sibling rivalry right there. You call this an escape? (laughs) (laughs) Well, your plan sucks. It's almost like the humor in Yelena is... You're first introduced to it, but it really doesn't take hold until you watch Hawkeye. Yes. Yeah. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There is no way they are surviving that car wreck. I mean, this is freaking crazy now. I saw this and I'm like, I officially give up. No. All the action scenes. (laughs) I, I tried. It's all Michael Bay after this. 
Well, all the Avengers movies are Michael Bay action scenes. This just kept going. Now, I knew the battle of like the Battle of New York and all that going on, but they still have those characters like Hawkeye and Natasha as a little bit more believability in their scenes. This just seemed like it was over and over and even a lo- way over the top. And I mean, um, as I'm watching this, I'm like, I give up. This is pure entertainment right now. <laughs> Maybe I'll change my mind, but these scenes are all a wash for me. Well, I'm going to be the opposite of that coin, and I'm going to say I absolutely love the car chase scene because I'm getting I'm getting echoes of Captain America: The Winter Soldier when the Winter Soldier is chasing them uh, in the cars. Remember, he blows up Nick Fury's car and all that stuff. I'm like, this is an echo yeah. to that, and I love it. I do, though, kind of want to see Taskmaster fight Captain America. I think it'd be a pretty even fight. Well, it'd be even fight no matter who he fights because he'll just adapt to anybody. He's got that shield, though. I mean, they both got shields. Uh, the <laughs> best fight for Captain America is when he's fighting Captain America. Yes. That's America's ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I also want to nod to this, and that is when Natasha admits to killing Drakov's daughter, we get a fill-in that that was really her first assignment for shield and that was what was yeah. going to get her on the good side so this is post hawkeyes budapest incident this is her first assignment after that and she can't let anybody down so she makes a, a call that ultimately haunts her mm-hmm. natasha and yelena grab some supplies and get drinks while reminiscing about the past with yelena talking about the fake family they had and the training they went through they know that in order to bring down Drakov in the red room for good they need help and Natasha contacts Rick again, and he procures a plane for her and Yelena. It's not a plane, actually. It's a helicopter, isn't it? It's a beat-up helicopter. But still, how does he get all this stuff? I don't know. Uh, Yelena asks if Natasha ever considered how she was doing, and Natasha snaps back that they weren't really family. Damn. I mean, pull your punches a little bit there, Natasha. Uh, yeah, that was... Uh... <laughs> that was harsh. <laughs> it's very harsh. But yeah. you know what? That's the big sister. Yeah, yeah. We get the superhero pose called out, which is great. <laughs> I love the great. That's just a great inside joke, and I'm glad that they touch on it a little bit throughout the film. Why do and you like, always do spot. this? <laughs> You're a poser. What, what the hair whip and everything. Yeah. <laughs> um. And I do like Yelena's perspective on it, which is that Natasha, they're both killers. Just one of them is idolized, though. Yeah. And I'm like, good. Bring her down to your level. Excellent. (laughs) Um, And this is also where we get the car ride where Yelena talks about her vest with all the pockets. (laughs) And this is where I believe the sister bonding is actually beginning when they're in the car. And and she finally goes, I do like your vest. She goes, see, I knew you thought it was cool. Now, refresh my memory. Is the vest even brought up in any of the other movies? It has to be. It is. She's wearing the vest when she uh, brings in Vision and, Fa- no, Falcon, Vision, and Wanda when Captain America shows up to General Ross at the in, uh, at the uh, okay. Infinity War. Right. She's uh, wearing the vest. Yeah. I, I, I When I saw this, I'm like, it's just one thing I ne- never paid attention to until now because now it's brought up and now it's like, maybe they do these things so that people stay vested in their Ah, you see, vested, huh? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Usually I'm pretty good with that. <laughs> and uh, Rick Mason, so sensitive. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
That's just the siblings ganging up on the little brother. And you know what, Rick Mason, I feel bad for you, man. You, I, I hate to break this to you, buddy, but you are in the friend zone. You just got to own into this point. She ain't getting with you. Well, that was especially said in a scene earlier. Says, and that's why I pay you to not not ask questions. Yeah. Okay. A little bit of shade thrown. Uh, Alexi has been in prison, arm wrestling other inmates while regaling them with stories about how he was the Red Guardian, Russia's first and only super soldier. He tells the others that he battled Captain America, although another inmate believes it to be a lie, and Alexi breaks his arm for it. <laughs> I wasn't sure great. about I wasn't sure about David Harbour for this robot. I absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He does a really good job. <laughs> now, this is interesting. The the big guy who sits down is supposed to be Ursa Major, a mutant from the X-Men. He even calls him Big Bear when he beats him. So oh, that's yeah. our that's like one of our first mutants introduced into the MCU, and we didn't even know it. Is it really? It is. Is that just a coincidence? Is that just no. Kevin Feige no. throwing stuff out there just to make people think? Do they ever just just throw things out there? I think they do just to just make people think it one way when it's really just another way. They're all seeds just waiting to grow a little bit. <laughs> I think it's a little action figure. Red Guardian forward. The trumpet is calling. <laughs> That's just a unique catchphrase. It's so it's so foreign to an American idea yeah. of what that phrase would be. Like the American would be like, Captain America for liberty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Freedom never dies. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> the alarms go off as Natasha and Yelena fly in over the facility. Alexi uses his super strength to break out of the building, but the guards go after him and try to attack the plane. It's a, it's a, it's a helicopter. God damn it, spoiler movies. Okay. Natasha descends and engages in combat with the guards while Yelena fires a grenade at the tower. This causes an avalanche that buries the facility. But Natasha is able to grab Alexi in time. However, both she and Yelena aren't, aren't particularly happy to see them since he and Melina lied to them as kids. When they ask Alexi if he knows where to find Drakoff, he tells them that Melina might have an idea. Okay, before we get started in all this, I love this whole scene. Steve, how do you feel about the whole scene? It's, it's a lot of unbelievability, but it kind of, I kind of accept it a little bit because Red Guardian is the Russian super, super serum guy. He's Steve, a Russian version of Steve Rogers. Yes. So everything that Red Guardian does, I can take with it, but everybody else, no. The helicopter coming down, her trying to gain control, the blades are all hitting this other thing. Says that helicopter would be gone. Unless the helicopter's got a super serum, oh, then Jesus. it gets passed by me. So maybe that's what's happening. Well, Steve, hold on, hold on. Of- you did at one point claim that, uh, what's his name? Sam uh, Fury's uh, SUV was souped up and had super serum gas in it or something. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> That was a seed that I planted. Uh, See, there you go. Uh, I love it when Black Widow jumps from the helicopter and lands, because my first thought is, please. And then we go up to Yelena, and she goes, what a poser. Yeah. (laughs) Again, I totally redeemed yourself. I love the inside jokes. It's great. I do like the white suits. I think they look really cool with the snow background. And the reaction Yelena has when she blows up the tower is fantastic. When it causes the avalanche, it's even better. This would be a cool way to die. (laughs) Yeah, it's like her reaction was like, oh, crap. 
She's a glass half full kind of girl. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Like just Florence Pugh's face in this series of movies that she's movies and TV shows she in sells half her character. Yeah, she does a very good job. The part I didn't like. Yes, go for it. What? Okay, so I'm lining up the scene for you. Is when she's grabbing the rocket launcher in there. She puts everything on autopilot mode. Okay, or just hover, whatever, and then. She's lining up to shoot this rocket launcher to take out the tower, probably where the minigunner was at. Then this minigunner just fires this round, and you literally see the bullets go right across the entryway where she's crouched down, but it doesn't hit her. Like, it starts on one side of the helicopter, then it's the opening, and then continues in a straight line on the other side of that doorway. Yes. And I'm like... Is a stormtrooper shooting? Was there, like a, was there like a gap in the in the rounds? I'm like, nope, not changing my mind yet on these action shots. Well, I just like every action scene so far in this movie. I and I am on the opposite end of it. Um, I will say this about the stormtrooper shooting. Uh, this is not the first time we've seen stormtrooper shooting in the MCU. Uh, there sure were a lot of people charging after all of the Avengers in Endgame who were all firing things but never hit a single Avenger. So this is like the Kessel mine run where they're trying to get all that stuff on the Millennium Falcon and nobody can shoot anybody. I mean, here's the thing. He was shooting something that had a bullet that was very small and she was shooting a rocket launcher. Her target range was a lot better than his. The bullets were smaller than the rocket launcher, I'll give you that. But yes. this is a this is a Gatling gun from a, know, from like a hundred yards away, and you can see. You tell me, you can't see those bullet holes go right across that. No, they do. They go. Come. They go right across, and then it stops. And as she is walking towards getting the rocket launcher, that's when she fires before the guy can reload the gun. I I it just it seemed like one <laughs> continuous firing, and it just missed her on purpose. That's what I saw. That's what <laughs> stuck out to me. Okay. So it's, there must've been a couple blank rounds in there that was just screwed up. That's that that's gonna be my rationale for Okay, it. Alec Baldwin. There we go. Oh, oh. Too soon? <laughs> Too soon. It was a cold gun. It's or not, it a hucker. listen, it's not a pretty escape, but it works, okay? Uh, the proud papa moment. <laughs> yeah, it was an intense moment. I, I, I will admit that, that when he's standing on the catwalk and you see the avalanche coming mm-hmm. and she's hanging down by this strong cable ready to grab him it's a very intense moment and i mean you'd be an idiot to think that okay they're gonna grab each other alexi isn't just gonna get knocked off and taken away and then continue the scene on you know they're gonna get but it, they still do a job of still making it very intense the only thing i would say that could make this scene better is if she grabs his hand and it slips right through and he just gets buried in the avalanche. And the next thing is you see him just kind of crawling out of the, the snow. And she goes, yeah. you weigh a lot more than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's Marvel comedy right there. Yes. <laughs> uh, you get Yelena describing to her dad about the hysterectomy. I don't know, maybe not appropriate for the little ones watching. Oh, definitely not. My <laughs> like, gosh. Like, and that Even was something an adult. they fought to, pre- they keep that in there. Like ScarJo and her fought to keep that in. They were to cut that out. And Yelena was like, no. They go in and they rip out your uterus. 
No, I mean, as gruesome as it is, I think it's, I think it fits really well. Just it's them throwing shade back at their dad. Right. Because look what we had to go through. Yeah. You know, all of this stuff. And he plays the classic, oh, dad, I don't want to hear. No, no, no. I don't want to hear about this. And you know what? No, you need to hear about it because you left us to do, go do all this stuff. No, we've suffered through all that. Now you need to suffer through this story. And what I like is that after hearing that, he tells his own story about how he screwed over by his home country. And you know what? It is kind of bullshit. Red Guardian's got a damn good point. He was screwed over. He was. No, I had, I had some sympathy for him. He yeah. just got thrown in jail. I mean, Steve, I'm not supposed to have sympathy for Russian characters, but here I am. Believe, I feel sympathy for it. The three make a rough landing near a farm where Melina is using mind control on pigs. She reunites with her former fake family and Alexei openly flirts with her, which grosses out Natasha and Yelena. He even goes to try on his old red guardian outfit, but he struggles to get it on due to gaining weight. While sitting at the table, things get tense as Natasha says that nothing from their past was real. Yelena is brought to tears as she believed their family was real to her. Uh, I know you don't like this, but I love the shot when the helicopter crashes. <laughs> It, I when they talk about it before, oh, we're not going to make it. We might not have enough gas, and then all of a sudden it drops. And it wasn't even a soft landing. to become a little predictable. But now. it wasn't even a soft landing. Like I was expecting them to just like land softly. It was just like, eh, <laughs> okay. And that's another thing. They're moving forward. Yeah. Does it does it literally drop perpendicular with the ground? Well, I'm sure that they stalled it out because if they're moving forward, they're spending expanding more gas. So they're like, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to land here. So they just went straight down at that point. So I guess the only way to kind of have that is just, okay, we know we're running out of gas. We're going to lower ourselves. Why didn't they just land right before? Well, you want to you get know, as far I mean, as you possibly can so you have less to walk. Yeah, but they're in farmland. They don't, I mean, they were walking regardless. That would be like you saying, we're going to drive to Michigan. And after you're at the end of your gas tank, you're like, oh shit, I forgot. I left my credit card at home. Uh, let's just stop the car here because we won't have gas. We'll walk the rest of the way instead of driving as far as possible. That's a little different. I guess. <laughs> uh, it does. Here's the thing. It takes a deft hand to write a reunification of a dysfunctional family. Anyone can break it apart. But to make it believable in the coming together takes a lot of talent. And my compliments go to the writers for this. I like it. I like the fact that they did that. Yeah, I thought I... Like the coming together too. That was good. Yeah. I do like when Red Guardian steps out. Still fits. <laughs> yeah. You see him struggling in the bathroom, sitting on the toilet, trying to get it over his legs, squeezing it together, you know. Yes. And I'm I I don't want to speak for most people, but I'll just speak for myself that this pandemic has put on a little bit more than what people would have liked. And it's just like okay now that the world's starting to get back to normal and you're starting to do more things like i can understand that yeah i understand that i am a big fan of this dinner scene i like when melina gets the pig to stop breathing because i remember the audible gasps in the theater audience that's a hard scene to watch if you're an animal lover it, it was yeah <laughs> WWF was not very kind to this no no uh, sure. the flirting gets great responses from florence Pugh and scar joe uh, and this is exactly what happens when grown-up kids visit their parents. They start to act like the teen versions of themselves again. Mm -hmm. I remember, I think it was uh, How I Met Your Mother. They called it Revertigo. Oh, Because okay. you revert back to who you used to be. Yeah, this was one of my favorite scenes of the movie, the back-and-forth banter. Yeah. It's just uh, Yelena and Red Guardian, they are my favorite. I love those two together. <laughs> Natasha, sit up straight. <laughs> I'm sitting up. I'm not slouching. <laughs> uh 
damn, Natasha. I mean, you're an idiot and you're a coward. Yeah, you're right, but you've been with the Avengers now for like seven years. They didn't teach you anything about tact. It's got to be a better way to explain this to these people. I think she's just overwhelmed and over it by now. Yeah. Uh, and I do legitimately feel bad for Yelena in this scene. It wasn't fake to her, and she was the only one who believed it. And it's like having everybody in on the joke except for you. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I, I felt bad for her as well. <clears throat> uh, later, Melina tells Natasha that her birth mother was relentlessly searching for her until Drakoff had her killed. At the same time, Alexei tries to continue being a father figure to Yelena, although she is still too angry at him, until he sings American Pie, which was her favorite song when they lived in Ohio. Okay, I'm going to get a little crazy on you here, Steve. Uh, yeah, I go. please explain this okay. to me. There is something really good about this scene when it comes to the writing, because it is part of a series of scenes which helps to reunite the group. In order to reunite the group, you cannot just have them all just get together and now they're all better. They all have their own issues with each other. So you have to resolve every single variation of the group for the group to coalesce. You get Natasha and Yelena, that's one pairing. And they fix that scene over the picnic table over beers. That's their bonding moment. You have a scene with just Natasha and Melina, which is the scene where Melina tells her that her mother was killed. You get Natasha and Alexi on the helicopter when Alexi is talking about his backstory. She never saw her father in that light before, so she can relate to him a little bit. You get Yelena and Melina when Melina tells Yelena about the knife in her belt to escape the brain surgery. And you get Yelena and Alexi in the very next scene and Melina and Melina and Alexi when they're locked up in the red room. That's when those two get together. So in order for the whole group to be healed, you need all the individual pieces to have their own healing moments with everybody else. That explains my line. Yes. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> His line was, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I, I, read, I was like, what is going on here? In his I, defense, I, I wrote very little of what I said. <laughs> uh, moments later, Drakov's agents arrive, having been contacted by Melina. They subdue Natasha, Yelena, and Alexei before being taken away. I do like the number of trank darts that hit Red Guardian. <laughs> it's not just well, one, it's 10. <laughs> well, they, 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 they did it right, like how they always do it with these, you know, massive... <sighs> I don't know, you've done it in our movies where you just see the one go and he goes, pulls the one out, next thing So they did it right. It wasn't just like 10 all at once. Right, right. Uh, but knowing what we know now, that Melina is actually Natasha in this scene. That means that Melina is the one who tranks, or no, Natasha is the one who tranks Yelena, which makes sense in how she delivers the I'm sorry before shooting her with it. Well, even if it was Melina, actually her tranquilizing Natasha, and it was actually her, I still think it would have gone the same way. Because you got to think that she's still a mother figure to these kids. She still has some kind of relationship to them. Granted, she is like, uh, still working for the Red Room, blah, blah, blah. I mean, even when you don't know the twist, yeah. it's still believable. Okay. The group arrives at the Red Room, which is located in an aerial base for the utmost discretion. Hey. <sighs> okay, well, Steve. Go ahead. No. Um... <laughs> Uh, so your issue, your big issue, the moment where you were like, this is unbelievable is when she hits everything on the way down in that one hotel and doesn't break a bone. Would yes. you say? Yeah. 
This is mine, everybody. Um, a flying base that nobody knows is in the air. Uh, we knew about the helicarriers and the helicarriers are operating at the same level as this flying base. How come we didn't know about this? Yeah, the believability factor just dropped a grade in my eyes. Just just with that alone. It's hidden in the clouds. What is it? The Care Bears up there? What the fuck is this? <laughs> the Care Bears. Wow. It's yeah, it's the modern machinic version of Carolot. So, I <laughs> <laughs> when I read this for the second time, I read this, it's like, okay, how can they think? It's It's got to have some kind of cloaking from everything. And that's the only thing that I guess I, that this thing probably has. But it's not cloaked it's, at all when you see it. Well, when we see it, but, you know, it's it could be up there where it can, I don't know. It's just, it's like it's cloaked, but it's not. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> What a duck! Gotta They're... have some. <laughs> Go for it. No, it's. I think it's got to have some cloaking device, just like the helicarriers. Yes. It's just. It's. It's cloaked, but it's not cloaked. It's not recognizable. The cla- I don't. It's got. I don't. Go ahead. It's stupid, Steve. It's stupid. This should have been on the ground. It should have been somewhere in Russia. You know where it would have been great? In that. Remember that. Remember that bunker where the Winter Soldier had to go to. Yes. That would have been where the Red Room should have been. Underground. Yes. Not flying in the air. That means that every time they want to send a widow out, they're sending something off of that down to the ground. And no no air traffic controller is noticing this? It's They got a great cloaking technology. Hopefully you don't run into it. That's my only rationale. And that's the only believability that I can extend. Trust me, I don't like it either. But <laughs> if I'm if I have to force myself to come up with a excuse for everything to be the way it is, that's as good as I can get. I got nothing after that. Melina is brought to Drakov, although it turns out to be Natasha wearing a disguise. This is part of a plan she staged with Melina back at the house, with Melina taking Natasha's place in the prison cell since she knows how to open the doors to free herself and Alexi. And this kind of reminds me of when Stryker recognizes that Wolverine is actually Mystique in X2. I under yeah, I can was- I recognize my own work when I see it. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. Uh Drakov is a pretty sick individual. <laughs> I guess I forgot to change that. But he is a very Yeah, he's That's not my writing. I know it's not yours. It's your color, <laughs> but I get that. I make one mistake my entire life. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, he's just sick. It's, I, I, when I finally saw this scene, I was like, that's, that's a messed up villain. He's, he's all, just, it's all about him. Yeah, yeah, it is. But he also has a pretty ingenious idea. He's already got this entire army of super fighters. If he can have them all under a hive mind, you're pretty formidable. If you have a way of controlling all of everything in one little spot, that seems like your typical ignorant villain. But, I the- mean, but he's got a lot of safeguards in place, and that's what makes it kind of neat. You know, yes. if you're breathing in my pheromones, it prevents you from attacking <laughs> me, which is actually kind of cool. It's just like, is that something 
I, I, how, how do you do that? That's just crazy. But then again, he's able to have this army of black widows and brainwashing. He's got to have it. When, when he said that, I wasn't surprised by it. That was just another evolution of his villainy. But I don't remember this. To what end? Like, what was his end game with all of this? That is part of my analysis. <laughs> And that's why he drops significantly. It's really hard to believe that he did all this just to control women. Oh, God. It's hard to believe that he spends all that money just to control women. Sorry. You need a little bit more than that. I'm seeing the parallelism to the real world. Oh, are you? Yeah. I am. Uh, sometimes David Harbour's accent in the scene is just so thick. I don't understand what he's saying. <laughs> it is, but this is Dave Harbour at his best. I love Red Guardian here. Like when, um, he, when he puts his hand up to his ear to talk and she's like, you don't have an earpiece. <laughs> yeah. Or even when he's just like, Taskmaster shows up and he's about ready to throw down with him. He says, you know, if I don't make it out of this, he turns around and Melina's gone. He goes, damn it. <laughs> It's like, okay, he's on my own. It's he's yeah. he's my favorite. Yelena's close behind him. It's good writing and good delivery. Uh Yelena nearly has her head cut open until Melina talks to her via an earpiece to inform her of a blade she can use to free herself. And damn, Yelena is efficient with that knife. <laughs> yes, she is. She is another reason why she is the equal to Natasha, who's Absolutely. the best fighter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Drakov reveals several things to Natasha. First, he has protected himself with a pheromone that prevents anyone from attacking him. Then he brings out Taskmaster, who is revealed to be Antonia, having survived the explosion with facial disfigurement, and her father has her mind controlled into being the perfect super soldier. He then shows Natasha the files of all the girls around the world that he has mind controlled. Yeah, Drakov is very much a Me Too movement villain, but honestly, he's not very foreboding. Uh, he's just a guy who does who looks down on women okay uh the only part of this scene which doesn't hold water is that when he raises his hands to natasha she flinches she would never flinch she didn't flinch to thanos she's not gonna flinch to this dipshit i wonder if that is just a slight of a little bit of ps ptsd because this is the person that bred them for lack of a better term yeah and that might have been part of their training and that this is just that's her unconscious to this person alone maybe that's it that's that's what i got out of it you know and that was just like she's got a weak spot and it's to him but i mean i i mean i totally understand your concept and your line of thinking and i mean i think about how how affected she was after thanos snapped his fingers and got rid of everybody and when they fly back to his little farm and she lays a couple of haymakers on him she's not afraid of that guy and i'm like gosh you know what don't weaken a strong character don't do it I exp- you ever see that video of uh, Kobe Bryant playing where the ball goes out of bounds and the guy gets the ball and he kind of yes. sh- you know fake fake throws at Kobe's face and he doesn't even move? That's yes. Natasha Romanoff to me. She's Kobe. She ain't moving. Yeah. yeah, like the only way I can get it is 
repeated physical and mental abuse that still hasn't gone away. Which very well could be it. Cause that's, that's you don't, the PTSD. we don't know if she's gotten any over any of that. So, yeah. uh, when confronted by guards, Melina blows up one of the engines on the red room, sending several guards falling, but also causing the whole facility to begin tumbling toward the ground. Uh, if this all hits the ground, it'll be like an asteroid. There's going to be some significant damage, Steve. Some collateral damage. Some collateral damage. Yes. <laughs> when this starts falling, though, my first thought is Sokovia. Like, you better get this shit back up in the air because if, if this is going to do some damage, you know, imagine what Sokovia could have done. No, I know. That would have that would have ended a lot of the earth. This is a big-ass base just floating yeah. around that no one sees. It's a building coming down. Yeah. Uh, Alexi fights Antonia while Yelena and Melina battle the guards until Melina helps Alexi trap Antonia in one of the cells. Natasha then smashes her face against Drakov's desk to break her nose to block out the pheromone per Melina's advice, allowing her to attack Drakov. He brings in other widows to attack Natasha as he makes his getaway, but Yelena sends the red dust to the room, blowing it up and breaking the widows from their mind control. Natasha tells them to go free, and she stops to release Antonia from her cell despite acknowledging that she will go after her. You can tell in this scene that Scarlett Johansson has had fight training. Absolutely insane in this in this whole scene. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what I do like about this scene is it leads to what I don't like about it. It is cool to see all the widows beating up on Natasha, but it also diminishes the uniqueness of Natasha because it makes her appear like she's replaceable. Mm -hmm. And I, oh, I agree with you. Not a fan of that. Um, the Red Room starts to come apart even more, prompting everyone to make it outside to escape. Alexi and Melina make their escape, unable to wait for Natasha and Yelena. Drakov and his guards board their getaway craft, but Yelena takes electric batons and jams them into the turbine, causing the ship to explode and blow up Drakov and the guards. Yelena is thrown from the impact, but Natasha jumps and reaches her in time to give her a parachute. I think this is a cool scene when they jump off the skyship and fight in the air. Steve? Another action scene that has me hating every part of it. <laughs> I mean, the shots are cool, but the action is just, it's its too much. All that debris flying down and no one gets hit. Now, I know we've talked about this before. They're all flying at the same speed. They're <laughs> cutting angles and moving in and out. I mean, it's just... No, sir, I don't like it. Round one, fight. Steve, have you seen a fight like that in the sky before? Uh, off the top of my head, no. Okay. I can't remember it. I can't remember. I'm sure I've seen it. I mean, we've seen Iron Man fight in the sky, but he can fly. Yeah, he's got propulsion. He's got, he can move in, in and around. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also wearing armor. He is wearing armor, but she doesn't need to wear armor. She's got some serum in her. That's right. She doesn't have any serum in her. She's not made of vibranium either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Antonia catches up to Natasha and fights her when they land on the ground. Natasha opens her helmet and sprays her with the red dust, freeing her from her father's control. This is another huge letdown for this character. Yes. Taskmaster could have been so, so, so much more. Yeah, a lot more. And this is... Taskmaster just got Captain Phasmid. Oh! <laughs> um, I agree. <laughs> I did not think of that, but damn, Steve, you nailed it on the head. <laughs> that just came to me all of a sudden. I was like, who's someone else that was just 
hyped up big and was a complete letdown. Yes. Captain Phasma. I agree. Uh, Natasha is met by Yelena, Alexi, Melina, and the other widows who take Antonia in for recovery. Natasha bids farewell to her former family as Ross and his team start making their way toward the location. Honestly, I'd prefer if the only family she had was the Avengers family. I think her death in Endgame means more then. Um, I like the whistle that Yelena and Natasha do because it's a callback to their bond from the beginning and the great passing of the vest to Natasha. There, I know you like it. Lots of pockets. I'm like, that's that's really cute what they did there. Yeah, the second time I watched this, they had that like little embrace in there and I was just like, ah? First, oh, did they get a kiss? No. Did, 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 am I the only one that saw that? Yes. Yes, no, you are. See it, I just was like, it made me, yeah, I thought they were going to kiss for a second. But that's like, it could be a Russian thing, you know, they just, I don't know, but I thought that was actually going to happen. Okay, they're hugging. Okay, all right, all right. I mean, I wouldn't have said no. <laughs> I would have. They're supposed to be siblings. Well, they're not blood siblings. It's... <laughs> They're not, but we're meant to believe that they, they're, no, they're siblings. It's like, I know the whole, no, I'm not going into what I want to think about and say, I'm not going to go, it's just, there's no E on this podcast. Two weeks later, Natasha now has blonde hair and meets up with Rick again as he has gotten her a jet. She is set to help break out the other Avengers from prison and reunite with her second family. Okay. So this movie takes place right before Roger sends the letter to Stark at the end of Civil War. Got it. Okay, two things. One thing I didn't write about here: the when she chops off her hair, yes, that was just no, sir. I don't like it. I like the red what? locks. No, like, what no. are you talking about? She dyed her hair blonde at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, but then she cut it. This, the, then it was cut, and I, I just didn't like it. No, I, and I know it's supposed to match up with the movies that they've already done, but I didn't like it then. I still don't like it now. Give me the Iron Man to Natasha. The Iron that Man is, to Natasha doesn't make sense if she's a super spy because you want your hair kind of tightened up. You don't want it flying all over the place in your face. She's the only one. She, her hair's got serum. They can do that. Shameful. <laughs> that is, what else, is, Steve? It's just it's just <laughs> like using the multiverse as an excuse. Oh, you um, know what? <laughs> um, Round two. Fight. <laughs> You want to get into Spider-Man No Way Home right now? <laughs> Just stick with the Avengers. Um, I like the Avengers theme song that they threw in there real quick. That still gave me goosebumps. Thank you, Alan Silvestri. <laughs> I know he wasn't direct part of this, but that's that's their, it's still. That's his, his theme. Baby. That's his baby, and I still love it. Yes. Uh, we had a post credit scene. It is now 2024. Yelena goes with her new dog. Fanny Longbottom to Natasha's grave following her sacrifice in Endgame. As she mourns her sister, she is met by Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, who now has Yelena under her employment. She gives Yelena a file on her next target, the one apparently responsible for Natasha's death, Hawkeye. Well, that explains why she's on the warpath in Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that makes a whole lot of sense there when relating to the show Hawkeye. Yes. Um, because there was a lot of different avenues that we always thought it was. My thing was for being an Avenger, she sure got a crap gravesite. Now the only way I can think of rationalize this is, is unless this is a personal gravesite for Yelena. But she she was in the public eye and I think people even knew 
that she made that set i don't know did people know that she's the one that made the sacrifice you know when it came back other than iron man i but mean here's the thing i, I feel like she got a go ahead she, she should have got a better send off in terms of her death i mean i'd love to know who else is in there but like i said i she should have had a better gravesite. Maybe she does somewhere else for the public, but for Yelena, this is her little private spot so she can be in private. So I guess that's how I got to take it. There, it reminds me of Man of Steel. Not Man of Steel. Um, uh, Batman v Superman. Clark Kent has his burial site not on the farm. Mm-hmm. Superman gets a freaking parade through the streets. And this might've been her like her private place for her own little thing. And I bet if you go to shield headquarters, there's a big ass memorial of her. So could this be the Natasha Romanoff grave site? And then they have the black widow. Yeah. You know, or whatever memorial. her agent name was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But I guess, you know, maybe that'll be revealed later on. Who knows? But that is all folks. Uh, according to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it is a tomato meter reading of 71%. That's 48 fresh reviews and 20 rotten. The critics on average gave this film a 6.8 out of 10, which actually that grade is kind of, it's like just below the average for Marvel movies. Okay. Uh, the critics consensus says Black Widow's deeper themes are drowned out in all the action, but it remains a solidly entertaining standalone adventure that's rounded out by a stellar supporting cast. I agree with that. I mean, <laughs> I agree it's a stellar supporting class uh, cast. I remain. I, I agree that's a entertaining standalone, and mm-hmm. I agree that uh, there are deeper themes in this. <laughs> um, and the action drowns it out. Uh, let's take a look to see what those critics said about this one from the rotten side. <laughs> Maya Phillips of New York Times says, quote, Black Widow never feels more than just a footnote in the story, a detour that holds no weight in the larger MCU narrative, except to set up Yelena for a larger role in the future. I agree. I so do I. Yeah. Uh, Shirley Lee of the Atlantic says, quote, the film ceases to be about Natasha wrestling with her heroism by pitting her against a raging misogynist. Black Widow tries to simplistically cast Natasha as a pop feminist icon. I kind of agree. I never thought of Natasha as, well, she when she says pop feminist icon as like a little agenda that's being pushed. I never got that feeling. Okay. So I don't know if I necessarily agree with that last line. And Deb Ross of The Spectator says, quote, more women is its only decent idea. Otherwise, it's business as usual. Otherwise, it's all formulaic, bish-bosh, smash-crash action scenes broken up by lame jokes and lame philosophizing along the lines of, your pain only makes you stronger. (laughs) She's never been to a Marvel movie before, do you think? (laughs) No, she hasn't. I didn't think any of the jokes were very lame. I thought they was all very fluid. Me too. Classic Marvel. It It was fluid. Which is why the audience score, which is the average rating the audience gave this film, is a 4.5 out of 5 with 91% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. 91. I agree with that. So okay. th- There's a lot of 3s. So the movie's over. Were you entertained? And I'm going to say mildly, but only because it's a Marvel movie. Steve? It could have been... I, it would have been if the action scenes were a little bit better. <laughs> but then again, does better make it better? Because they're already over the top. Does, I just, wait, did you say does better make it better? Yes. It does. I did. 
<laughs> I don't know if if they would have done more to these action scenes, would it have been better? Ah, okay. I don't know. I just kept laughing through it. The jokes were good. The casting was good. I was I was glad it was over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Uh... Here's the thing. We can't figure out whether the awards got it right or not because we're doing this a year from the movies released and because of the way that the awards are set up, uh, the award shows aren't, haven't, aren't happening yet. So did the awards get it right? Uh, well, there are no awards for it, but personally, I think they nailed it. It would have gotten a lot of Saturn <laughs> awards. I don't think if, if I had to predict the Academy Awards, no, Golden Globes, nor you know, I, I know it would have been in the Saturn Awards. I'm sure the MTV Movie Awards would have done something with it. And I bet the Razzie Awards would have had Drakov as worst villain. Uh, I don't know if it would have gotten a Razzie award. I think, I mean, he was a, he was a villain, but he wasn't a bad, bad, bad villain. I mean, Razzies are pretty low. I mean, we're talking Gwildor type stuff. Gwildor. Ooh, wow. Bringing Master of the Universe into this. Yeah. Like I, I think they're the Saturn and the MTV movie awards. I probably would have picked this. She could, she could have easily won best actress, best yeah. action. Okay. Superhero. So I would have probably put him on that. All right. <clears throat> on to our next segment titled Top 3, Bottom 3. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie, and then we go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable, or downright travesties. Let's start with the top three, and I'll go first. Steve, my number three is when Natasha breaks her own nose. That is badass. <laughs> that is really cool. um, number two, when Red Guardian is fighting Taskmaster, it's really just Guardian getting his ass kicked. <laughs> And I could watch David Harper get his ass kicked for an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, and my number one, every single time Florence Pugh and Scarlett Johansson are on the screen together. Whenever they're conversing, their action scenes, whatever it is, I love every second of those two together. The only pairing I like more with Florence Pugh at this point is Kate Bishop, Haley Steinfeld. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking about that as you're saying, because they have such great chemistry together. And then... Kate Bishop and Yelena have such great chemistry together. I think that's just a testament of how great Florence Pugh is as an actress going into her projects. I agree. She yeah. she makes other people better. Yes. She is the Phil Jackson of actresses. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve, what are your top three? Uh, my number three is Yelena and everything she brings to the MCU. Yelena's getting a lot of love. <laughs> yes. Uh, number two, the family connection of the quartet. Mm -hmm. um, dysfunctional, but a loving family underneath it all. I still think that they might have their grudges against each other, but at the end of the day, I still think they'll do whatever they can to help each other out. Gotcha. And my number one, the Red Guardian and his longing <laughs> to be a good father. Spoken from a father. <laughs> yes, this guy is just a big hot mess. And I think he's just, he's trying so hard to do the right thing. And at times it just, he makes it even worse. <laughs> but, his, but his, it's the meaning behind it all. Yeah. It just makes him a good father. All right. Well, it's time for the bottom three. It's time to vent. My number three the hysterectomy conversation and the pigsification, you could eliminate these from the movie and it doesn't change a thing. Neither one was ultimately necessary. Well, the, the pig suffocate, uh, I don't know, maybe. It just shows that how the mind control works and that the fact that Melina was able to replicate it. I feel like there was, there might've been another hidden agenda with Melina. Like she was trying to do something off on the side. Okay. So maybe go back against the red room. Like, okay, I'm going to, 
that take that technology I learned and s- start over from scratch right. and test it and perfect it and make sure I can do it so that maybe she could eventually go back and attack the Red Room. Okay. Uh, my number two is this movie capitalized off the Me Too movement. And because of that, its villain isn't a force to be reckoned with. It's a foregone conclusion. Of course he's going to lose in the end. Of course he is. Yeah. It Usually with Marvel movies, you get the, hmm, somebody's going to have to take a sacrifice hit on this one for this villain. But being that all of the people are women, of course they're going to win. And my number one taskmaster is completely underutilized. I mean, yeah. she's got some cool scenes, but they're brief. And I'm a little ticked off that they red dusted her at the end because I would have liked to have seen her in a couple other movies as a, that, that constant force. It's the Marvel versions of Captain Phasma. <laughs> it's so well stated. So well stated. Okay, Steve, you now this is what you've been waiting for. Your bottom three. Yes. Your bottom three. Go for it. Uh, my number three, the physics and the human body. <laughs> I should have seen more decapitations and um, bodies broken in half. Um, my number two was your number one. Taskmaster was a huge letdown. Yep. And my number one and number three kind of go together. Believability is thrown out the movie for me 25 minutes in, <laughs> and it just never recovered. If anything, it just kept getting worse. It just drastically got worse Well, as the movie went on. Well, Steve, that's... There are so many others I know you could have put in there. I'm sure you struggled just to find three when you had probably a list of 20. Those were my top three. I, 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 they're, they're what I have, I have a list of honorable mentions. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, time for the critics rating. We use an A to F scale here on the movie planet. C is considered average. A is the highest. F is the lowest. If the movie is so bad, it receives Fs from all the hosts. It goes to a new category of movie, the movie planet global killer, a category of movie where you can watch it ironically and have an amazing time at how bad it is, including Solo, a Star Wars story, and The Matrix Revolutions. Oh, that's right. Solo is no longer solo. It is not alone. So the question is, what do you give 2021's Black Widow in the comic book movie genre by today's standards? And I'm going to start here. Let's be clear. This is not a Black Widow movie. This is a Black Widow passing the torch to Yelena Belova movie. I'm going to start simply with the fact that this movie should have been done after Civil War. However, I can understand why they didn't based on the history of getting this property off the ground, which makes me wonder, why now? Well, the prime motivations are, number one, money, which Marvel Studios and Disney are raking in, so that can't be it. Two, a social justice agenda. She needs a movie because she didn't get a funeral in Endgame. That's not enough. And number three, this can help introduce characters who will matter to the MCU future. Now, if you look at it that way, I can see why number two and number three are the big reasons for this existing. This movie doesn't add anything new to the Black Widow character, other than explain she had a family she grew up with. We already knew she was a spy and that she had been trained and brutalized in Russia based off of the dialogue in Age of Ultron. And I ask you this, after watching this movie, do you really know Black Widow any better? Do you appreciate her more? For me, no. Scarlett Johansson, David Harbour, Florence Pugh, and Rachel Weisz, they've got fantastic chemistry together. And it is a shame we don't get more of them together through this film. When it comes to comic book movies, If this was standing alone and it was released right after Civil War, I'd probably give this movie a B. It's pretty good. It has some good action scenes, but there's also a lot of scenes that drag. When it comes to movies in the MCU, 
this movie, because of when it was released, really feels like a filler episode. It's not an, it's not necessary. It doesn't add anything to the overall plot. It doesn't fill any gaps. Many would claim it tells the story about Budapest, but what? watch it again. It doesn't tell you a damn thing that you don't already know. In fact, the Disney Plus TV show Hawkeye explains more about Buda, the Budapest incident than this does. Now, let's talk about the big baddies. Well, I think in the end, this should have been General Ross. Instead, we get Anton Drakov and his daughter Taskmaster. When Taskmaster is fighting, I get a Winter Soldier feel from it, and I get excited. However, in the end, the bad guy is, well, a guy. A man who wants to control all of the females under him. And that is not enough to get mass droves into theaters, especially mid-pandemic when this was released. It didn't fit the overall narrative. What if instead of centering the story around Drakov and the Red Room, they centered it around Romanoff and her evasion of Ross? And she is the one who ends up getting onto the raft and freeing Ant-Man, Widow, Falcon, uh, all those guys. In the process, she happens to run into her long-lost sister, a rogue widow named Yelena Belova, who was there to kill Barton. When Belova gets away, Romanoff chases after her as Captain America takes Barton, Falcon, Ant-Man, and Wanda away to safety. While pursuing Belova, she learns how to sacrifice the ultimate price for her family from her mother, Melina, when both Yelena and Romanoff are reunited with her, and in order to take down the Red Room, the mother sacrifices herself to Taskmaster so the girls can escape and free the minds of the other widows. It becomes less about the patriarchy and more about introducing Yelena, teaching Natasha about what the ultimate sacrifice means to your family, and explains how the raft was infiltrated to free the Avengers. Instead, we get an exercise in hashtag me too that feels dated already. Nobody ever thought Natasha was weak or a victim until this movie. And guess what? You still didn't get a funeral. So what the hell? Overall, I am giving this a C. It is an above average comic book movie, but it's got too many flaws to be considered a good MCU movie. Steve, you're up. I see what you did. Ah. Okay. This movie had a tough following from M-Game and Far From Home. It was established that it was all pre-snap, so I give it the pass in that regard. And for me, that was my that was my bar going into the, all the Marvel movies up until, you know, post that. My villain analysis is back. And for this time, it's not Taskmaster, because I don't consider that a villain at all. It is Dracoff. He was a real dick and a very pinky in the brain, him just being the brain. Uh, he seemed to have his bases covered and how he and how he can be overthrown from power. But what was his goal? Was it world domination? <laughs> what was his motive for all of this? I, I, have, I have no idea. Uh, he's low on my villains list. I'd put him down by Von Rog from Captain Marvel. Ooh. Below Ivan Vanko, even. Ooh. I give them more respect than this. I really disliked the action scenes in this movie. It was like a Transformers movie, but just worse. Worse. It was worse because it's humans taking all the damage and not these alien machines. The saving grace in this movie is Yelena and the Red Guardian. 
more Red Guardian because this isn't even Yelena's best work. All that is in Hawkeye. Please check that out ASAP. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to watch this movie for a while. <laughs> I'll, I'll pro- I'll, I will. I went through it. It's fair that my kids go through it when the time is right. I think per our conversation, this is very Rogue One. But I enjoyed the movie a lot better. But I enjoyed that movie a lot better. I give it a D plus. <laughs> this is the worst Marvel movie I've seen. I'll take Captain Marvel over this. But either way, it's complete BS. I just like the action scenes. Just like the action scenes. Okay. Okay. So uh, a C from me, a D plus from you gives it a C minus average. And this actually ties it with another Marvel movie for the lowest rated Marvel movie we've ever done. I know this one. That movie is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, maybe I don't know it. Ant-Man and the Wasp got our collective average a C minus. Uh, So do you, if you were to, if we had a pantheon of like 50 movies, would you put Black Widow above or below Ant-Man and the Wasp? Below it without any hesitation. <laughs> uh, I I think I'd, uh, if I remember correctly why I gave Ant-Man the Wasp what it was, it because it felt like a filler episode. Same idea. Uh, it didn't really forward the plot anywhere. We were expecting more in it. Uh, I, be, and because of that, I might give Black Widow the edge simply because it at least introduced a new character we're going to see later on. It did. I mean, I hate to give Black Widow the edge over an Ant-Man movie, but I kind of have to in this case. I mean, who did we agree was the lead in Ant-Man and the Wasp? We didn't know. The Wasp. It, it, was, it was the, the Yeah, it was the Wasp, right. Yeah. It was the Wasp. It was the Wasp movie. It was Wasp and Ant-Man. Yeah. So... But yeah, right above those is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 with a C minus, but it was a 5.5 instead of a 5 out of 12. And then Captain Marvel was a C. Okay. And Incredible Hulk was a C also, but we put Captain below Incredible Hulk. (laughs) So, revisiting the list of movies in the Pantheon, nothing's changing. Black Panther lives to another day in the Pantheon. Chadwick, don't worry. You're... Time is limited here. Uh, no, it's not. It's going to be uh, replaced in about five months, I think. Yeah, in another multiverse. It, it, well, <laughs> perhaps one of madness. Um, <laughs> let's get our critic stats off. Do you love this movie, like this movie, or none of the above? You know what? I like it, but it's, a, it's the most mild like I could give. I tolerated it. <laughs> It's such a great word to use. (laughs) It is. It's uh, a red garden makes this watchable for me. And Yelena. And Yelena. No. Yeah. I, she does. I, I think if you really want to appreciate Yelena, you watch Hawkeye. Yes, I agree. Well, that's all we got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we'll begin our look at the Mad Max series with the first film, Mad Max. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean and give us a four or five star review. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and follow our Instagram. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts 
The Movie Planet Podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They're included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Steve, any last words? So it's been a while since I've done one of these podcasts. And, <laughs> you know, I feel like I felt like the Red Guardian there. <laughs> uh, it still fits. <laughs> still got it. Yes, you do, my friend. Thanks for listening and happy movie watching. <laughs>